Well, great. Uh, we're going to jump into our topic for today. We're going to talk about anxiety. And kind of similar to last week, when we talk about anxiety, it's really not about anxiety. Um, uh, and I don't know if you've ever had anxiety like attacks or panic attacks, or if you're a person that deals with anxiety. I, I don't want to take a survey, but I'm guessing that in a room this large that some of you guys deal with anxiety. I don't know if you know how that feels, but it's kind of like this picture right up here, all right? Um, it's kind of like, that's how exactly it feels. For those of you guys who deal with anxiety, that's how it feels. It feels like you've got this demon on you, and he's just racking your brain, right? Uh, and so it may be hard for some of you other people to relate with who have not experienced this. But for me, I've dealt with anxiety quite a bit in my life. And there's probably four or five times when I've had a severe anxiety attack. And this, this does not do justice the way that you feel. As a matter of fact, one of the anxiety attacks that I had was back in 2011. We were watching the Smurfs on the big screen, which is enough to give anybody an anxiety attack. And uh, for no, it, at the time, it felt like for no apparent reason, uh, I felt like I was going to die. That's how it felt like to me. And so I literally had to get out of the theater, and I went outside, and I just kind of walked it off. And I didn't know what was going on. I literally thought there was a demon that was trying to possess me uh, because the confusion that brought, uh, you know, that brought to mind was just so, like, it was so, it was, it was so strange, right? So some of you guys know how this feels like. It's not just a topic of discussion for you. It's the reality of life. And so uh, at the end of our time, at the end of the sermon, we're going to post some of our great friends and prayer warriors in the church, and I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you to come and receive prayer. I'm going to ask God to, to minister to you at the end of our sermon, and I want, I want you to be able to spend time with somebody praying this morning before you leave, so that you can process in prayer the things in your life that you're anxious over. Um, I want to narrow the topic down just a little bit because there are six categories of anxiety from OCD to post-traumatic to situational to uh, phobias and, and social anxiety. But I want to narrow it down to two main triggers that people have when it comes to anxiety. Number one, it's relationships. And number two, it's uncertainty about the future. Would you say so? Relationships and then uncertainty about the future. As a matter of fact, if you think about your colleagues or the people that you know at work, for the most part, we live in a city that's quite anxious. Uh, we're overly medicated as a city uh, for our anxiety. And for the most part, it's because of relationships or uncertainty of the future. All right? And so last week we talked about depression. Depression and anxiety, kind of they kind of come together. Usually when you see depression, you see anxiety not far behind it or vice versa. Uh, I would say it this way, that depression tends to warp the way that you think about yourself, your identity. Anxiety tends to warp the way that you think about the future, your destiny, right? So anxiety is like an overreaction to something that isn't yet a reality. It's like you're overreacting to something that really isn't happening yet, right? So it's the disproportionate what-ifs, right? It's like, uh, what if I never get married, right? Uh, what if my spouse leaves me? What if my children leave me? What if I pick the wrong career? What if I don't live up to my potential? What if I fail? What if I trust him and he fails me? Um, I don't want to add to the panic, but as Christians, uh, in some ways, first and foremost, our allegiance is first to God. And there's a lot of responsibility with that. Uh, trusting in Jesus as Lord and Savior is more than just a religion. It's more than just a philosophy of life. It is a marriage. 
It's God and his mission become our dream. We are, we are responsible to live and walk in that dream with God. When you make the decision to follow Christ, you're not just saved from something like sin or hell. You're saved to something like purpose and mission. Uh, you're invited into what God is most passionate about. And that oftentimes can bring anxiety because you want to do God's will so much. It's kind of like this. When Lynn and I got married, um, we were young. We were 19. Uh, she didn't know this, but when she married me, she just didn't marry a handsome young man. She married his dreams and passions as well, and vice versa. And so every decision in her life has the potential to move closer or further away from our dreams and our passions. Every decision you make has the potential to move you closer to God's mission or further from God's mission. Some of you are, you're in the midst of making life decisions, right? Uh, most of our conversations are about, i got to decide if I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to that school, if I'm going to take that job, right? Many of you guys are right in the midst of that. It's heartbreaking when you think you've got the right thing, when you, got, you think you've got it figured out. It's heartbreaking when the door closes on an opportunity, right? It creates anxiety. You ever thought that you had the right thing figured out? It was the right relationship, it was the right job, and then all of a sudden a door slams shut. It creates anxiety. So we're going to learn from Psalms 55 today. Uh, And this is the principle that I would derive from Psalms 55. I would say this, that the opposite of anxiety is trust and obedience, not peace. I almost wore a shirt that I designed. I just couldn't make it. But it said, keep calm, redeem anxiety, trust and obey. Did you see that, that I posted it this week? Um, the opposite of peace, or the opposite of anxiety is not peace. It's trust and obedience. Peace from anxiety often comes as a result. Peace from anxiety often comes as a result from trusting and obeying God. All right? And, and Psalms 55 helps us to process two things. Trusting and obeying God in anxious relationships, uh, or you might say even in bad relationships, and then trusting and obeying God in uncertainty. And those are the two things that we're going to look at. All right. Um, so let's jump into it. Psalms 55. Uh, similar to last week's Psalm 42, King David, he, he's the author of this Psalm. He's racked with anxiety because of a broken relationship. His best companion, his closest confidant, his trust, trusted friend betrayed him. Uh, it's hard to pronounce his name, but uh, a hit, a hit, a hit, Hophel is his name. Uh, and David's oldest son, Absalom, conspire to overthrow David's kingdom, to steal it from underneath him. All right. So David is going through all this drama in his life. His, his, favorite, his oldest son and his closest counselor confident conspire to overthrow him. And so he actually leaves the city. The, the story is recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 15 through 17. This is how David describes it in verse 12 through 14. Bruce, Bruce didn't read this earlier, but this is what he says. He says, it is not an enemy who taunts me. Then I could bear it. It's not an adversary who deals insolently with me. Then I could at least hide from it. But it's you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the throne. We used to worship together. What happened to us? There's something about broken relationships, especially, especially the closest ones, like family, 
somebody that you really love, maybe a, a really close friend. There's something about trusting somebody that when that trust is breached, it creates a lot of anxiety, right? As a matter of fact, your body cringes when you think about that person. You got somebody like that in your life? Where it just like when you see them from a distance, you get nervous. You start thinking about what should I say, right? There's a bit of sweat that begins to develop. Um, some of us, it's not that bad, but uh, you're just, you're on talking terms with people. But your way of running away is just to keep relation, or to keep conversations really shallow. Let's just talk about, hey, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah, man, well, you know, how's work going? Work's going great. And you keep it shallow because to go any deeper than that, you may hit a sore spot, either in yourself or the other person. This is where the psalmist is actually writing from. And so the anxiety inside of us in relationship tells us to do what? Run away. Avoid people. Run away. The psalmist felt this. Uh, we read this earlier in verse 4. It says, my heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling. For those of us who have had anxiety attacks, you know what this means. The horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, if I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. I'd run away. Yes, I'd wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness, sleep all day. I would hurry to find shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Run. Avoid. Hide from that person. It's a fair thought. It's a terrible solution. How often we settle for superficial peace to avoid tension? At times, the peace that you have in avoiding people may not be God's peace for you. When actually, it's usually dealing with tension in relationship that brings God's peace to you. Um, this could be a tweetable. <laughs> Avoiding tension can often be more exhausting than actually dealing with it. This is true. The amount of energy it takes to avoid people and to, like, you know, put on a front in front of people, that's more exhausting than you just say, let's just have this conversation right now. Let's lay it out. The Bible calls this, what I'm describing, the Bible calls it the fear of man. The fear of man. Uh, there are consequences with this kind of uh, anxiety. Uh, when your anxiety is high, high with somebody, it probably means that they are too big in your eyes. Like they're, they're way too big in your eyes. You've exalted them to this point in your life where they're way too big. Or you've become way too big in your own eyes. Right? There's this disproportionate understanding of them or yourself. Um, they have a place in your life that only God should, only God should have that place in your, in your life. Uh, the cost of living this way is more than just being anxious. It, it, the cost of living this way is actually the kingdom of God. That's what's at stake. If your closest relationship steals energy from you instead of gives energy to you, you don't have the fortitude or the health to do exactly what it is that God's called you to do. Think about that. If the people that are closest to you are actually stealing away energy from you, Instead of giving it to you, you won't, you'll feel restricted in what you can do for other people. David in the psalm, in the psalm, he was on the run instead of ruling his kingdom. He was running away from his kingdom rather than ruling it. Let me ask this question. What 
what kingdom opportunities have you run away from because you're avoiding anxious relationships, anxious conversations? What are you forfeiting that God's put in front of you because you're avoiding people? Um, I, I feel like I'm very approachable. I've had people in my life say this to me, and I was like, I was completely shocked. He says, you scare me. I'm like, I scare you? What? Like, little kids love me. How can I scare you? And understand what it means to have somebody who's scary in your life, right? Either because, either they're just over, overly confident, right? I, 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 I think of myself as a socially awkward person that's learned how to pretend in a large group environment, right? That's how I think about myself, right? And so other people don't see me that way. That's how I see myself that way. It took me a long time, and my family is here from Detroit. You guys can attest to this. As a young kid, I was not very confident, felt socially awkward in a lot of environments. I learned over time to fake it until I make it, all right? Uh, so uh, there are often times when, uh, you know, you feel a sense in which you have to pretend. And so when you pretend and other people only understand your pretension, Sometimes they're fearing something that's false. And I realize that there have been times in my life when people have feared me, which, again, I don't understand why they would fear me. But I've had people say, you know, you honestly, you just, you make me afraid. And it made me think, ah, oh, there are people like that in my life where I look at them, and maybe I've elevated them to, the, elevated them to this point where I was so afraid to disappoint them. I was so afraid to fail them. And so every time I was in their presence, I was putting on a show. And that's an exhausting way to live. It robs and it steals the opportunities that God wants from you. Uh, digging deeper into David's life, uh, he writes this psalm out of a deep sense of hurt and betrayal. His oldest son, his, uh, his closest counselor, betrayed him. This is David's response. Uh, this is actually out of 2 Samuel chapter 15, if you want to read the actual narrative. This is how David handled it. All right, it'll make you feel better about your relationships. But David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot and with his head covered. He's, he's so ashamed of himself. And all the people who were with him covered their heads too. And they went up weeping as they went. If you live in anxiety, those who you influence, guess what? They live in anxiety with you. It's fine when you're single, you don't have kids. It's terrible when you have four boys and your boys learn your anxiety. David, who didn't handle his business or he was just so anxious about it. The people that he led in the same way had the same response. Now at first, um, uh, at first glance, it looks like David is actually calling curses. Like in Psalms 55, we just didn't have enough time to read all of it. But there are points where it says, I hope, he actually says this, I think it's verse like 20 or 21. He says, I hope they go to hell and stay alive. <laughs> this is what he's praying for his enemies. Uh, you know, not a very Christian prayer, I would say. <laughs> uh, but the, the, the reality is that David is honestly expressing himself. Uh, he's not just trying to be spiritual. In the Psalms in the Bible, it gives us permission to do that. That you don't have to be this hyper-spiritual person in order to deal with your stuff. But if you notice this, even though he prays that way, if you read the rest of 2 Samuel chapter 17, what he doesn't do is he doesn't exact revenge 
and he doesn't go after his enemies. He doesn't, he doesn't take revenge. Um, so the opening lines of Psalms 55 are written, uh, him praying this, Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Have mercy on me. Attend to me and answer me. I'm relentless in my complaint and my moaning. So instead of exacting revenge, he just asked God, God, minister to me in these moments. What do you think uh, David learned about himself? And the story goes on. He actually learns to be humble. He's humbled by the circumstances that cause him anxiety. And that's the funny thing about anxiety is that when you're anxious, it's actually in some ways a form of pride because you've actually elevated yourself to be the most important thing and you're at risk and that's why you're freaking out. David learns actually in this, uh, in this exercise to be humbled, that the fear of man is only overcome by the fear of God. This is how uh, St. Peter uh, wrote it in 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, Peter says this, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you and then casting all your, what? What's the word right there? Anxieties on him because he cares for you. There's a correlation between humility and the lowering of anxiety. There's a correlation. As a matter of fact, uh, Ed Welch, uh, psychologist, says that the secret to overcoming anxiety is humility. It's a funny way of working itself out. Um, there's another story of another man at the Mount of Olives who is anxious and weeping and praying because of a betrayal. You know what I'm talking about? At the foot of the Mount of Olives, just like David, Jesus lay down at the rock in the Garden of Gethsemane, anxious, weeping. It said that he was sweating drops of blood because of the betrayal that he experienced in his relationship with Judas, but the betrayal that he experienced because of us. That when Jesus was anxious in the Garden of Gethsemane, it wasn't because he was proud so much, but it's because he realized that the betrayal that we had, had actually caused on him was leading to his death. And so he struggled with this. And in some ways, you should, you should have permission that in the midst of anxiety, there's a realm in which you're worrying where you're not sinning because Jesus never sinned. But in Jesus' uh, 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 Gethsemane prayer, he, he prayed similar prayers to King David. Did he, did he pray superficial Christian prayers where he said, well, Lord, um, just give me strength through this. If you read the story in Matthew 26, no, he says, oh, Father, if you can take this away from me, that would be great. Very honest prayers in the midst of his anxiety. He was visibly shaken, overwhelmed. He probably even quoted Psalms 55, verse 4 to 5 to himself. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me and horror overwhelms me. That's what Jesus experienced as well. He knows what it means to be nervous. How did Jesus overcome his anxiousness? How did he do it? He humbled, he humbled himself. 
to the point of obedience. Peace and anxiety often is a result of trusting God in obedience. There are relationships that are robbing and stealing the work of God inside of us. God can redeem those relationships if you humble yourself. Trust him in obedience. Sometimes obedience is having a hard conversation with somebody. Sometimes obedience is letting things go. And no longer allowing yourself to be offended or bitter because of what your boss did to you or what your mom did to you 20 years ago. That until you can humble yourself and let those rights go that intrinsically feel like they're your rights to be angry or to be bitter or to be offended, until you humble yourself and let those go, it's hard for healing to come into your life. Humble yourself. I know this sounds cheesy, but you'll remember it for the rest of your life. If you go through it, you'll grow through it. It's true. It's cheesy, but you won't forget it. If you go through it, you will grow through it. Secondly, trusting and obeying in the midst of uncertainty. The second point comes from verse 16, and this is David saying, I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Not, I will come up with the best strategy to save myself. God will do it. Call on the Lord when you're uncertain. Wait for his salvation. Wait for his open doors. When the doors close, be patient. God will save. Uh, I want to read another passage that talks about the legacy of David from a different perspective. This is from a Revelations chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. One of my favorite passages. If I could just tell you the story behind this in my life. Uh, your life would be changed. Uh, but this is such a powerful verse. Revelations chapter seven. These are the uh, chapter three, verse seven. These are the words of Jesus. It says the words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key to David, who opens and no one can shut, who shuts and no one can open. I know your works. Behold, I've set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know. I know that you have but little power. And yet, you have kept my word and have not denied my name. What is is Jesus saying? Number one is this. Words of the Holy One, true, who has a key to David, Jesus is saying is this. I will never counsel you in error. I will never give you bad advice. I'm holy. I'm true. I would never ask you to do something that's not going to benefit you. Number two is this, that Jesus has a total authority over your life. You wake up in the morning this morning, you decide, do I have Captain Crunch or do I have Pops? And you think, I choose Pops and you're in control of your life. No, Jesus is in total control of your life. He closes doors. He opens doors. Not you. If the door for an opportunity has been shut, there's no use in banging on those doors. There's no use. If God's closed the door on a relationship, on an opportunity, 
There's no use on, on bringing out your crowbar and trying to reopen those doors up. No use. Put your battering ram away. One of the best ways to overcome anxiety about the future is to completely close the door to the past. Let it go. It wasn't that great of a song, but you'll remember it for the rest of your life, unfortunately. Uh, when a door closes, there's a better one waiting for you. Jesus is good, holy, and true. He can only do good for your future. Uh, maybe that's the biggest revelation for some of us this morning is that Jesus could only do good for you. He can only do good for you. It's impossible for him to do bad for you. He never makes a mistake. His motives always pure. Always pure. He never lies. He's, he never errors. It's against his nature to do something that would in the end lead to your ruin. It's against his nature. But better doors don't always mean higher pay or a better looking gal <laughs> or a gal at all, unfortunately, for some of us. Better opportunities don't necessarily mean those things. Sometimes better opportunity means this, perseverance that builds your character. It's good to have good gifts from God, but at the end of the day, he's more concerned with the person you're becoming instead of the things that you're accomplishing. We're training to reign with Jesus, remember? And because we're reigning with Jesus, it begins here. Not so much here with our hands and what we can do, but in our heart, what God's forming inside of us. God is building your character more than he is building your skill set. Sometimes God will close the door to an opportunity, even if it would have led to better things. This has happened to me, uh, I think. Uh, there have been opportunities that were presented to me that said in the long term, in terms of results, you would yield more if you were to go with this opportunity. And sometimes God closes door to those things. He never tells you why. In some ways, he may just want to see, he just want to see, he just wants to see if you'd follow him. Um, on a scale, uh, this is a quick survey. I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious. Um, how many of you guys have had some level of anxiety about the future in the last six months? Just raise your hand. All right. Come on. All right. Wow, that was only 95% of you guys. Not bad. 5% <laughs> of you guys are doing really good. Don't, don't hear this with any condemnation. Let this be an invitation. Not condemnation, but invitation. Be faithful where you are now because you're probably where God wants you to be. Ask yourself, what kinds of things has God placed in front of me right now that I'm only doing half-heartedly? That may be the reason why you're still here. Some of you guys, you just want to get out of Toronto. I just, I just want to get out of here. I'm ready to get out of here. I'm ready to get out of my apartment or whatever it is that you're anxious about. And there's something. There's something here right now. Be present. That God is doing. Maybe you're half-hearted about it. And God just says, I just want to see that you have a full all-in mentality. You're asking for larger things, but you're struggling with the smaller things. God loves all in people. It's not about how talented you are. You realize that, right? That in God's kingdom, it's not about uh, fruit and production. It's not about how big things are. 
I hope that we can understand this in our minds because the world tells us bigger, better. But in, in God's economy, it's about are you all in with your heart? And so until the moment we can feel all in with our heart, oftentimes God allows us to stay where we're at. Not because he's cruel. It's because he's patient. He loves to see his children grow in maturity. God is more patient than you. If you want to do this waiting game with God, he will win <laughs> because he's merciful. He wins every time. He's merciful. He doesn't mind. He'll wait until you're present and you say, oh, that person, I need to love that person with everything. I squandered it the last 12 years with that person. But now, this time around, with everything. Um, before uh, we moved to Toronto, I remember having uh, a series of panic attacks. Uh, the fear of Smurfs was one of them. Uh, I was so eager to get on to the next thing, to be quite honest with you. Um, I was anxious because I felt like the next thing wasn't coming. Uh, my problem wasn't that I didn't have enough options. It was that I had too many options. And Kierkegaard actually says that anxiety is a place where f there is so much freedom. Uh, and uh, for me, it was a place in which, like, so I, there was this moment where um, a pastor took me into the church, and he's, it was a, a large church, and he said to me, because this is in the midst of, like, do we go to Toronto, all that stuff, and honestly, I just wanted to be in a place where I was obedient to God. And he said to me, and this created so much anxiety, he says, why do you want to go to Toronto? You could pastor this church. And I looked around, and the auditorium was four times the size. Um, and I felt, first of all, I said, that's a stupid idea. I don't want to pastor a church this big. And then secondly is this, what if this is my opportunity? Like, and instead of making me feel excited, it made me so deathly afraid that I might mess up my future. I was so afraid that if I made the wrong choice, that I would give up the best opportunity I would ever have, you know, in my ministry career. And so I remember in those weeks, me and Linda were praying through these things. We're like, oh, what if, you know, what if these other doors are open doors from God? And just it was, we were so anxious about the future. We're, this is how bad it got. Let me, this, is, I mean, this may make you think differently of me, but this is how bad it got. Where when we were doing our small group meetings, like we would have a small group in my house, I would have to pray no less than 30 minutes before people came over because I was so anxious. And Linda looked at me. She said, there's something wrong. You need professional help. Because there was something that just triggered this in me. And I remember the moment where it lifted and it disappeared. I was talking to a friend. It was almost as if the voice of God, the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. And he said, are you present? It's only by, make sure I get this right. He said, it's only by fully embracing today that you can be fully present in your future. You can't live in the next moment. You have to live now. Sounds a lot like Jesus when he says, don't worry about tomorrow. Church, learn this before you move on. Because if you move on without learning it, guess what? You got to learn it there. I did. Uh, I realized that you can still make decisions even though you're still anxious. It didn't, it didn't make all my anxiety go away. It didn't make everything perfect for me. But I chose. And I chose to come here. And I, there's no 
doubt in my mind for a second, that even in the midst of feeling uncertain about my choice, that in the way that God's worked it out, whether it was going through here or through here, I have arrived exactly where the Lord wants me to be. I chose in the midst of anxiety. So I want to close with this. Don't be crippled in fear of making wrong decisions. Don't be crippled in fear that you'll make the wrong decision. If you're all prayed up, if it's time to decide, draw a conclusion. Is it city A? Is it city B? Is it job A, job B? Is it guy A or guy B? That's a little bit more sensitive, I understand. <laughs> the psalmist says, call, psalmist calls on God because he expects God to act. If you do your part, God's going to do his. Uh, don't wait for the bus. Don't wait for the bus. That's never going to come. Don't wait for it. You're all prayed up. You know it's time to make a decision. Jump in. I live by this kind of principle. It's, I don't, don't adopt it as yours. But I say, if I've got 75% of the information, I'm good. Uh, A.W. Tozer says this. He pastored a church on Avenue in uh, Davenport back in the 70s. He says, the man or woman who is holy or joyously surrendered to Christ can't make wrong decisions. Any choice will be the right one. That's the advantage of being completely surrendered to God. Another famous theologian, just kidding, he was the founder of Ikea, uh, <laughs> Ingvar Kamprad, he says, only those who are asleep make no mistakes. There's wisdom in that too. All right. Take courage. When God opens up a door, you, you better walk through it because you've been praying for that door. Walk through it when God opens those doors. When not walking through a door is, 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 an op- is your only option, be patient. Wait, God is speaking in that moment. Don't be afraid of failure. Right? I don't want to be like a job coach or a life coach to you, but truly, failure is a place in which you hear God more. You're more susceptible to being willing to hear God in moments of failure rather than moments of success.